Welcome to a slightly different episode of the Ipswich Basketball Club podcast. I'm Ben Scarlett, back in the hosting chair this week. As we're sure you're aware, recent events both abroad and here in the UK have once again brought racism to the fore, even as we wrestle with an ongoing pandemic that has disrupted our way of living. The senseless deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and countless others have become a catalyst for an ongoing global protests against the systemic oppression that people of colour have faced for centuries. My guest on this episode is former Ipswich basketball alumni Charlene Tom. Now an Essex rebel, Charlene is currently undertaking her Masters in International Human Rights Law, and as a black woman, she belongs to a group that has been historically marginalised and ignored. As a club, we realise that this subject matter is difficult to engage with, but we hope that you find this episode informative and that it goes some way towards helping you to understand the experiences and history of people of colour. IBC is a diverse organisation that strives to provide an inclusive environment for everyone, but we can all do more as individuals. We're really pleased to be able to give Charlene this platform and hope that her message resonates moving forward. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen. You are now listening to the Ipswich Basketball Podcast. Charlene, welcome to the Ipswich Basketball Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So the purpose of this podcast is kind of a little bit different to what we normally do. Um, Charlene, you played for the club for five years, but we're here to talk more about kind of other issues that are going on in the world at the moment. But I think if we can give a little bit of background in relation to your time with the club to start. Yeah. So I, I um, started playing for the club um, when I was uh, 14 and I'd just done um, count the county tournament for Suffolk in kind of the summer period in, in school and then they kind of were like, you know, you should come and play in Ipswich. But I, I live in a really small town in, in Suffolk, so uh, it was actually quite a long way for my parents to kind of get me there. So I, I did a few training sessions. I was pretty young at the time initially, though. I was about... 13 12 so I went to a few sessions and they only had the under 16 team so I was and the under 14s but they were pretty full so I was like it's a lot of effort I'm really young like let's try again later and basically when I was 14 again I went to play for the club and I actually ended up playing and training with the girls and I was I was there for a long time you know I had um, some really good coaches growing up I had Christina I had Catherine quite I had Bernard Ben and Bull, so lots of big names in the club. I was quite quite lucky. And then when I was when I finished my GCSEs, I really w- wanted to pursue basketball. So I um, came and moved and came to play at the academy, and um, it was great. I mean, I've been playing with the same core group of girls since I was fourteen. So it was it was great for us all to be in the same school together, studying and playing basketball. We were the underdogs, so it was, it, we, you know, we fought for each other. So, but yeah, that's my history with the club, really. Then you moved over to Essex, where you studied your undergraduate and played for Essex Rebels. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. So I, I finished up uh, my A-levels and I, I hadn't had the opportunity to kind of look into going to the States properly. Like, I didn't really... I didn't know much about it to be honest and sure. um, I just knew I wanted to or had to <laughs> kind of study and um, 
I had applied to lots of different places, but um, I applied to Essex too. I kind of, when when I was, my last few years at Ipswich, Essex were very much a powerhouse in the NBL. And they were just beating teams by, you know, 30, 40. And I was like, wow, like, I, I want to be there. They're, they're really, you know, doing great things in the league. And so I applied and um, obviously Nick knew, uh, knows Mark Lloyd. So it was relatively kind of, the process was nice and easy. And I applied, spoke to a few of the players that were there. And um, yeah, I've been there ever since, um, since I did my undergrad in law and human rights and I just started my masters this year and we've had um like really successful seasons um reach we always kind of reach we always win the premier the premier south league for bucks and we kind of go pretty far in in the cup quarterfinal semi-final sort of thing we're, we're still yet to to get one championship but we will and when we were in the nbl uh, we did really well we won the league got to the cup final, obviously everyone knows the infamous game against it switch, yeah. um, which was crazy for me. But yeah, I've been here and I've been enjoying my time and yeah, it's been great. Do you still keep up in terms of the links that you have with the Ipswich area or the club? Oh yeah, like absolutely. Like my, my, my best friends from the club are still my best friends now. Like the same group of girls like I grew up with, like Harriet, Grace, Fran, Ash, Emoki, like we all still talk like every day. We have a weekly quiz, like, you know, and sure. they'll come over and stuff. We have a great relationship and, and me and Nick, I know that I can always kind of go with him for anything and he's always happy to see him and I'm always happy to see him like him as well. And it's just all love between us, which is great because I really grew up there. Yeah, that's great to hear. Let's talk a little bit about how this podcast came together. So you contacted Nick in relation to recent events that are going on. Um, and yeah. the, focus of, the focus of this particular episode is we wanted to talk a little bit about kind of a general sphere around the Black Lives Matter movement, racism in general, and kind of resources that we could share as well. When did your kind of passion for these kind of issues emerge? Um, I think it was quite apparent to me from a, a really young age that that there was a lot of human rights issue um issues in the world i i came i moved to england when i was six um from zimbabwe so i was instantly aware that i was black and everyone else was white i was a girl most of the people in power were men and the the system in Zimbabwe is quite patriarchal. So I grew up in that kind of environment. So it was quite apparent to me that not everyone was equal from really young. And I'd noticed these things and, you know, I'd noticed, but I was a kid. So, you know, it wasn't that deep. But when I got to kind of high school and stuff, I realized that there was a real issue. And it was actually something I felt passionate about because I a lot of these things affected me personally. And I kind of, I studied a lot of history, English, those were the subjects I really enjoyed. And then I had the opportunity to study law and it only further opened up the gate to that world for me. And so I've always been kind of locked in and interested in what's happening in the world and the inequalities, but never being too active. Um, but obviously the recent events um, with George Floyd and many other people um, have brought these issues to light, especially in this time. And 
there was just an, a massive show of support online. And as much as that made me feel great and validated and like I wasn't crazy, there's these issues are real and they won't be ignored for longer. It also made me feel like people should do something with this, the support they do it, they, they're showing. Um, for me, it seemed like there was a lack of active support and I, I felt really passionate about making that change and helping people to find the way because I don't necessarily myself have the platform to kind of do that. But I knew that I personally, I'm, you know, I'm part of the UMI. I was part of Ipswich Basketball. I am part of Essex Rebels. These are the organisations that are big and close to me and they are showing their support. So I felt it was kind of, I had to ask, like, so how were you going to be supporting? Because something needs to be done and the, the things that I represent, I would also like to, them to represent my, my core principles. So um, I, I shot Nick a message um, immediately. I've said, you know, me, me and Nick, we do talk. We keep each other updated. He's always asking how I am, how my family is. So I, I didn't even hesitate. I just messaged him and I was like, I basically was like, thank you for your support and it's great, but what, how, how are you going to affect this change? And that's when we kind of, this was kind of late at night. And next morning, straight away, he calls me and we talk about it. And I tell him how I'm feeling and the ways that I think that he can show support. And he has the idea of, of the podcast. And it, I think it hit the nail on the head. Um, he said that he, he, he was willing to support like many people are. But um, I thought he had a good point of saying it's kind of more powerful hearing the, the message from myself. So it, it kind of happened quite easily and nicely because I know you guys were also wanting to do something towards the movement. It was a happy coincidence, you know? Yeah, it kind of worked yeah. out well in terms of timing. Um, exactly. I think with regards to, you know, we're kind of fortunate that we do have a platform and we do have, you know, regular listeners, but for some organisations, it might be a bit more difficult. Do you think that organisations are doing enough at the moment? Or do you think that this has to be something that is a kind of sustained period? Yeah, no, I, don't, I definitely don't think organisations are doing enough. Um, this has to be a sustained period of time because the, this isn't the only issue. This is actually a one of a mass manner of issues in the black community. And I think that organisations particularly with a largely following a large following of black people actually have a responsibility to kind of show their support actively how they're going to help and collaboration with the actual community because at the end of the day if i can buy something from uh, an organization or corporation that has shown me that they support black lives and want to make the world a better place in that way or just one who's chosen not to make any stance on the issues or even worse just ignore it not address it at all so if i have that option i know where i would rather go to so i would expect the same kind of responsibility from the organizations especially because they're the ones with the power the media controls so much and these what people consume tends to come from big companies big organizations and if they're not saying anything people aren't they're not really gonna look into themselves and question these things because well nothing's 
there's nothing for them to there's no platform that's asking them to you know and as we're, we're all human it's hard for us to when things don't relate to us it's, it can be difficult to kind of find that information so I, I don't think companies are doing enough and they do need to do enough and people need to look at who they buy their products from and things like that what are they supporting what are they endorsing is that something you want to be part of as well in a sporting context how important do you think diversity is within a group it's like major i think the most diverse and cultural environments i've been in have been in basketball the teams i've been on the opportunities i've had to go places experience different cultures so it's really important to have diversity in the athletic world because it just means that everyone can learn more about the culture from each other because usually especially at a high level in the sporting environment you're spending a lot a substantial amount of time with those people so if it's different people from different races, different backgrounds, different religions, you really open yourselves up to that world and you see it firsthand. And then you can start to understand some of the issues that people are facing. If it's not diverse and there's only a certain group um, involved in sport, I think it makes it really difficult and it takes away one of the main things in sport, bringing people together, you know, show, celebrating the talents these people have how there's so many so many black people that are you know elite athletes and we, uh, as a group black people you know they provide a lot to the world of athletics and people enjoy watching you know they love to watch Usain Bolt they love to watch LeBron James they want to see Steph Curry shoot the threes and you've got to realize for those people to be able to be where they are you've got you've got a culture you've got to raise that culture up in these environments so that people can excel it's a, it's a way out for a lot of people so it's got to be diverse you know some people play basketball and it's you know it's the only thing they have to keep them out of trouble at the weekend or so so i think it's it's crucial people will learn by being in the same environment as people from different backgrounds I think it's crucial. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I think, you know, even you can apply the kind of same standard that you would to maybe education, you know, sort of early days mm -hmm. of education. If you're surrounded by a diverse group, it kind of gives you a bit more of an understanding of some of the issues that those groups face, those marginalized groups within communities. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be on a racial, on a kind of racial terms. It could also be um, in terms of class barriers or gender. Yeah. All of those things are very important into kind of what goes into the makeup of society, I think. Definitely. I think, especially in education, I, I think you can probably ask most black people and they will tell you when or if ever they had their first black teacher, you know, and I think it's, it's so important because we don't, we, you know, we don't tend to see that in, in the classrooms we spend every day in, you know, some, some black kids might think, oh, I could never be a teacher. I've never seen a black teacher. Like, well, black people don't teach. When it's really, that's the places we need people to be, to be teaching people, not just necessarily about Black Lives Matter, but just showing there's a different culture. Other people are capable of doing these things, you know. So you're completely right. It can be applied to any situation, any work environment, really. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about Black Lives Matter. Obviously, it's a hot topic at the moment. 
there's been a number of kind of peaceful protests around the country that have kind of sprung out offspring essentially of the American movement. Yeah. What can what can you tell people who maybe not be aware of what that relates to and what that represents? Can you give them a kind of understanding of the the kind of message that that is trying to send? Yeah, absolutely. So the the protests um, recently, the Black Lives Matter and the George Floyd, um, all of that really originates from um, the slave trade and historically black people originating from Africa were bought as slaves um, and sent to many different parts of the world. You know, it was America, it was UK, it was Spain. There was loads of colonies and um, black people were used as slaves. Uh, they were less than human. They Legally, they weren't classified as a human person. And black people were slaves. They would um, work in the fields for white people. They would serve their families. They would raise their children. You know, they would do all the things I guess people didn't have the time to do and at the time. And um, eventually, years and years later, um, after a, a lots of civil wars in different countries, um, black people achieved freedom. Um, but it wasn't freedom in the way as you expect the actual a lot of this i'm going to be saying is relating to america but it really does apply to the uk also these the same things have happened here um but in in the us they released legislation to end segregation that's what it's supposed to do and segregation black and white people essentially live different lives there was black only zones white only zones and the legislation um famously said um separate but equal and it basically said that segregation is okay as long as the two segregated groups have have the equality within them. So schools for white people, schools for black people, water fountains for black people, water fountains for white people. And it really just kind of fostered the idea about black and white people are separate and they have separate things. And it usually turned out to be that the white people had the better things because they had never been, they didn't have to recover from slavery, the setbacks that slavery has had. So since slavery was abolished and the, and the civil rights movement in the 1950s, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, you know, these big activists, segregation ended and racism ended supposedly. But the system that had been in place for so long is the system is racist itself. So the issues that were resolved in that time have not been resolved in the long run because the issue was the system in place. You know, black people are less likely to be employed. Um, they're much less lower percentage of um, black people in colleges and getting to those top colleges, getting the high roles. Some people, black people will work the same job as their white equivalent and they're getting paid less money. Um, and people will think that, well, this has nothing to do with racism and the issues we have now. But they really do, because the way you have to think about it is you have to compare a white family and a black family and their roots from the very beginning. In comparison, black people were, they couldn't vote. It was illegal for black people to vote. So they couldn't foster the change they needed in their environment. 
they weren't allowed at one point to go to, to, to college. They weren't allowed an education. So these are people, you might look at them on the first instance and it's equal, it looks the same. But in reality, usually the black families, if you look back in their history, it's at one point or another, they've been denied something that the white people that white people have had access to meaning that they're already at a disadvantage it might not be because they didn't get to go to college or they can vote but if their ancestors in the past couldn't that means that as a result say someone's grandfather couldn't go to college he couldn't vote he couldn't make any change that means that they bring up their children in an environment where they're not educated so they can't then educate their children and pass that on the desire to know more is missing because the opportunity was never given and that's how the racism is systematic and like throughout everything um and I would say that's where it's originated. And part of this has been um, police brutality. Um, as we know, we've seen it. Um, there's been a jagged relationship for years and years with black people and the police, especially in America. And it's coming apparent statistically that black people are suffering way more at the hands of the justice system that's supposed to protect them. You know, black people are 2.5 times more likely to be killed by the police in America. You know, that, that stat is crazy to me. You know, it's not a little difference, 2.5 times more likely. And lots of people are being killed and, and the justice system is not fulfilling their duty to the people. They're not following up a lot of the people committing these crimes, because that's what they are, crimes, whether there's a badge or not they're getting away with it because they're in positions of power. And at the end of the day, in some cases, it's a black person's word against a, a high ranking officer. I mean, if 50 years ago, we know how that went, then it's going the same way today, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think you touched on, on an interesting aspect of that, which is the kind of institutionalized racism of certain organizations or kind of uh, yeah, institutions, I guess, you know, that still exists because of the history. There's no getting away from that. But when we yeah. apply that kind of standard to the UK, what do you think, what what changes do you think could be made in this country that would try and kind of t uh, turn the tide on that kind of systemic op oppression? Uh, I think the, the main thing that we kind of have to look at as a country is the, the education system, particularly in secondary school or high school it's just lacking i mean i i went through um the education system here in the uk and i i was there we we were taught you know that the slave trade did happen and there is people can be racist but it was never it was said because it had to be said it was never taught how it happened what happened particularly who did what especially in school here in the uk the uk never would said where they colonized and how it happened and how people got free the the movements the human rights movements that freed these countries and these people i've been i've never seen them in a, a single history book and i grew up going to school here and i now st i study at a high level here obviously it's different now at university and i'm studying human rights so it's it's there for me to see but it's not accessible when 
you're a kid when those kind of things are really important your mind is forming your opinions are forming you kind of think I think it's even happening now people are protesting and they're like the the US is is disgusting I can't believe Trump is letting this happen when so many things are happening on our own doorstep that we don't know about relating to black people because the education is just lacking people people really need to get educated and one of the best ways to do that is in the classroom you know where where it really matters with with the future of the country and the world you know I think one that's one really one of the main things people can do educate themselves have some discussions you know with their family about the hard-hitting subjects and their friends I've had to personally I've had to have a lot of tough conversations these last couple of weeks and it's difficult and it's not comfortable, but you know what, it's got, it's got to be done. So, yeah, I think the, the education system is definitely one of the main ways. We need to stop blacking out the UK's part in this and start exposing it and showing people so that then people will also believe more that change needs to happen. Because at this point, maybe some people don't believe that, you know, the UK is racist or it's doing anything wrong. And um, they'll never know unless they're told or they reach out and find out themselves. I think you brought up an interesting point there in terms of maybe the UK's reaction to something that is going on abroad in the sense that, you know, I've seen a lot of commentary in relation to the protests that we're having here that seem to imply that this is just an American issue and kind of downplays the nature of systemic oppression. Um, Yeah. That is one of of many criticisms I think and to me those criticisms don't really carry any weight because the ideal goal and objective is essentially equality yeah how do you kind of combat that mindset of you know this is not something that applies to us you know we have a different police force around here we have you know different institutions uh, a more integrated society perhaps how would you combat that um I think that um it might become bad that we do have a different system with our institutions and and the whole like corporal punishment is different here and the police the justice system as a whole is actually it's a different world to the states but those same issues that people are having in the states regarding police brutality and the treatment of black people that they're right here so yeah we might we might have a different system and you know police officers are different here but we 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 still have stop and search you know i i people how many i could tell you endlessly how many of my friends particularly black boys have been stopped by the police for no apparent reason so yeah it might be different we don't you know the it's obvious that the real problem the the biggest problem is in the states but we have a problem here too so it can't be ignored just because our system is different well our system might be different but it's still oppressing the black people in the same way that's happening in the states it's just on a smaller scale because we're a tiny island we can't be compared to to the u.s in that way but the issues are just as big there are multiple examples of that i mean you look at the kind of criminal justice system and youth offending institutions and i think you'd probably find that there are significant percentages of black of young black males in those in those systems in relation to the population is that an appropriate percentage i you know my argument would be why why do you have that many young black males that are incarcerated um yeah you you look at you look at the disparity in sentences 
in terms of criminal the criminal justice system again you look at the amount of black ceos or black board mm-hmm. members or these are all kind of issues that that need to be tackled and need to be kind of faced definitely and when you think about that um especially the bit you said about why is there more um black youth in you know youth offending and in, in those kind of prisons and i just you can instantly say is because of the difference in opportunity a lot of these kids don't have the opportunity to go to school to just be a kid and they have to turn to other things to kind of to to survive we all have that survival instinct and you know people will do what they need to do to keep going and keep putting food on the plates of their family and look after their family members. You know, if we get into black people in the healthcare system, we could talk all day about the disparities there and the amount of children that have to take care of their families because the healthcare isn't isn't providing for them. Without wanting to cause you to relive any sense of trauma or anything, can you talk a little bit about your own experiences of racism in this country? Yeah, of course. I've I've had quite a a few experiences um, from when I was growing up, from when I just moved to England and, you know, I still had a strong African accent and because, you know, I, I still speak Shona and stuff and, you know, I wouldn't know all the time exactly what to say, the right words, you know, I was still learning the language. And so I had some things growing up then, but I, I was a kid. I was, you know, six to eight years old. I, I didn't really know what was happening at the, at the time, but I've had some recent experiences that have been like you know quite shocking to me you know even though I know racism exists and everything but recently it was about two years ago actually a year and a half ago at at my university and uh, my university is actually really cultural really diverse Um, you could honestly meet anyone from anywhere from the uni which is one of the things I love about it and it just happened to be um, just on a night out with my friends, and um, the the club the club closed and everyone was kind of being evacuated and this girl had dropped her purse, so I, I pick her purse up and she's kind of getting ahead of me and I'm losing her in the mix and um, I'm kind of barging through and I'm just like trying to give her her purse back and security kind of stops me and they're like you start pushing through stop barging through and I'm like oh yeah like completely understand I'm just getting this girl her purse. And they turn to me and they're kind of like, well, why do you have her purse? And I'm like, she, she dropped it. You know, I'm just going to just gonna give it to her. I can literally see her. And they're like, well, you must have taken the purse. Like, why do you have her purse? I need to check your ID. And I'm in the act of, I mean, it's, I haven't stolen it. I just got it off, off the ground, you know, and trying to give the purse back. And it turns, somehow turns into altercation and they pull me aside and I'm kind of on the top of the stairs and they're like, give me, they're saying, give me the purse. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to give you the purse. Like, I'm going to give it back to the girl. Like, I know who she is. I can get it back to her. It's fine. And they're like, no, you have to give us the purse right now. Like, so you, to make sure that you're not going to take anything from the purse. And I'm like, if I was going to take something, <laughs> why would I go then to give give her back the purse with the missing things after she would have seen me, you know, it it made no sense. And it got quite heated because I was getting quite angry because I was like, I'm, um, I haven't stolen anything. 
I just want to give this girl back her purse and they're kind of insisting that I've taken it from her and I have my friends with me and I the guy starts shouting at me using derogatory terms and he's telling me to calm down but I'm perfectly calm talking to him it's getting heated but you know no one I'm not shouting or doing anything kind of too much and he proceeds to 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 push me down I'm at the top of the stairs and he shoves me like essentially down the stairs and luckily my friend is there with me and he grabbed me and obviously from this moment on it's it gets heated my friend instantly defends me and starts arguing with the the security guards and there's another black officer there and it's without him saying anything um, it's apparent that this there's a slight race issue there. He didn't have the same thing explicit, but you know, there's some some of the things he said to me towards me were it just it was clear that there was a bigger thing at hand. And I see that there's a black security officer there. So I go and I speak to him and I'm like, Have you seen what's happened? And he's like, Yes, I watched it all and I'm like, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. Like I'm kind of like, What's going on? And he says to me himself is like, you know, sometimes these guys are just like that, you know, towards black people because they think they like cause, you know, trouble. And I'm just appalled at this situation. This man has pushed me down the stairs, attempt like tried to push me down the stairs because I'm trying to give back someone's purse. I go and I try report it to the... Um, to the people at my uni, I go to the advice center and stuff, but the process is really hard. And in the end, they said, there's nothing we can do about it because although they employ the security guards, they're an independent organization. So they can only tell them what's happened and ask them to kind of fix up, but they couldn't really do anything about the guy because I felt like, thank goodness my friend was there. If not, I would have been shoved all the way down the stairs. Imagine if it was anyone else. And I kind of went on from that experience and went on to ask a few people about the experiences that they may have had. And it quickly became apparent to me that there was a massive issue with security and black people and other people of color at the university. So that was one I had really recent, like, you know, quite a big one in the last kind of span, five years. And that one really kind of shaped, shook me because that's the first time I would say that I have been accused of something because of the color of my skin, basically. And it kind of just showed me that the institutions that I'm part of also have a play a part to play in this and maybe they're not doing all that they can do to kind of try and protect black people at the university and other people of color because of the stories I heard were a lot from black people but a lot of other people have been affected by this so I would say that that was one that really kind of it really got me to be honest it was just the last thing you expected with your friends just on the night out just wanting to have a bit of fun and it turned into this this whole thing you know yeah i completely understand that and i think that must have been a really traumatic experience for you but it also kind of highlights that there is in certain organizations a lack of accountability for things like that definitely uh, when i went to to complain it just seemed like no people wanted to help there was nothing they could do about it their hands were tied and that was the end of conversation 
but that that shouldn't be the case there should be a way to resolve these issues you know people want need to feel safe in the in where they spend their time you know they want to expect that if anything was going to happen to them the security is going to do their job and protect them and not turn on them and then accuse them absolutely and without diminishing that incident in any way what shape or form i think i would struggle to find a person of color who hasn't experienced something of that kind oh absolutely we kind of talk about this in the context of black lives matter and and that is part of the reason for these kind of protests and these kind of um demands of 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 people in power is is that accountability definitely i think it really is because if we can't hold you know the people in power to uh, hold them to account it's really difficult to then hold other people to account because if the examples that are there for people to see aren't doing anything people aren't going to feel compelled to act as much whereas if it comes from from the top down and the bottom down and we meet somewhere in the middle some real change could happen so in the context of black lives matter we both attended protests this weekend how was that experience for you it was um it was honestly a journey i would say <laughs> it was my first um, ever protest so i i didn't really know what to expect i was like so we just turn up and what we start shouting like <laughs> i don't really know like i didn't i didn't know what to expect but i knew that i had to kind of turn up with a message and just you know join the movement and show support so i was really quite excited um coming to this and i, I had my friends with me and again it just shows um kind of the place kind of place ipswich is you know harriet was right there with me grace was fran was ash was Moks is in, is in Madrid, so she couldn't be here, but those same group of people I grew up with showed up for me right there and then. Tom as well, and the club, the club Essex Rebels shows represented, um, as well as Ipswich did. I know Ipswich had um, its protest yesterday. So it was, it was really amazing to see the turnout. I expected, honestly, a handful of people, and I kind of walked down into the park and there's hundreds of people there which was great to see people I knew some people I'd never seen before uh, and everyone had a story to tell them a message and it was actually so powerful you know the people that organized it had their speeches to say and ways people can help and how they have already helped and then they the most kind of important part is they kind of opened up the stage and said you know does anyone want to talk and the whole time I was kind of standing there and I was like, oh, like I really would like to say something, but I just don't know what to say, how to say it. You know, it kind of felt like it had to be the perfect thing to be making a, a statement to hundreds of people in this way. And I felt the pressure, but I was just, I felt like I had to say something. I'd been saying everything and anything on social media and I, you know, this was the time to kind of, to show it and show this is what I believe. And this is what I stand by on a bigger scale. But as this was happening, people were talking and they're telling their stories. And it was people, it was white people, it was black people, some some really young, brave kids. Like we had a 14-year-old girl stand up and speak. And and then I finally mustered up the courage. And I wasn't, obviously, wasn't expecting to do this. I didn't even know really what a protest was. And um, I ended up speaking. And I ended up speaking and speaking and speaking for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just 
it was really cathartic for me. I got to say what I wanted to say in front of people that shared my views in front of my, my family, my loved ones. And I got to express how this kind of movement has affected me and how I, it was kind of, it was very, people were trying to get justice for the injustices and I was just trying to see the the bright part in this, like, wow, we have so much work to do, but it, look around, look how many people are here. These aren't, these weren't the people I was worried about, you know, and I kind of expressed that, you know, the people that are part of the movement, great, good, but boom, we need to move on as the people that, that aren't here. And I know obviously there there's the pandemic that's happening, so I, I can understand you know, it's to everyone's discretion and some people are vulnerable. I completely get that. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, you know, people should break the law and stuff, but I think if you're able and, you know, you support the cause, then it's great if you can attend, you know, and I was just reaching out to people to talk to the people that aren't there, you know, their family members. And it was so therapeutic for me to be able to say that and get it out and wow to have everyone everyone agree like sometimes you think you're going crazy with these things you know can't the world see like this as this happening and suddenly people are just not nodding along with me they're hearing what i'm saying it felt so good to be heard basically and to expose these issues and to feel like part of a, a community of people that that cared and the best thing about it is that there was all different people there you know so so um, it was really, really great, and it was it was pretty peaceful, and it was really successful. It, it started to rain; people kept going. You know, uh, I hate the cold, and <laughs> so I was half expecting people to leave, and people just stood there, and they kept standing there, and they kept listening, and they kept supporting. And if that's not a step in the right direction, then I don't know what is. No, I entirely agree from my perspective. Um attending attending the event in Ipswich I felt like it was very life affirming it was kind of it gives, kind of gives you a reminder that there are people that are aware of the kind of situation and are prepared to kind of move forward but that kind of brings me on to the next point where do we go from here what can people do to be supportive of these kind of initiatives yes yeah, so um I think there's loads people can do um as as everyone knows, I think it's clear that, you know, the battle's not over. This this is gonna be going on for a long time. We kinda you know, we're strapping in and we're getting ready for the, a long ride. And I think the main things that people can do, you know, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, and there's different levels of activism that you can slowly work and build your way up to. Because I think those are the are the real things that make change. And the first one is one I'm seeing that is already happening i would say in in living rooms in offices at work in in whatever the way people are able to interact nowadays um discussing discussing the issues um that are being exposed by the media with your family and friends um people always say you know it, it starts at home because the, the conversations you have with your family and friends it doesn't even have to be a conversation where you're asking them, you know, what are you doing? How are you helping? But just discussing slavery, just discussing racism, just ex discussing experiences that race experiences that they might have had 
um, that can add to the, to the bigger picture and these tough conversations. And if you feel like you might even have to call someone out because they're saying racist things, people need to know that it's, it's okay. They're not in the wrong. You can do that. You shouldn't feel uncomfortable by telling someone what they're doing is like, is wrong. And the, but I think that it start it starts in those places and in those intimate places where people feel free and able to have these discussions because I I can't walk into every living room and be like let's talk about race let's talk about slavery you know you've got to do it for you know to a certain level to be able to say and question these things because some people don't know a lot about these things and feel as though they can't ask these questions because they're stupid or whatever but you know you, you can have these conversations with your family and your friends and encourage them to ask share tell and get them thinking that alone can make a big difference because you never know from that conversation a person can walk away and look into those things themselves and be like oh like oh, they said that I didn't know that let me look into that and from there on the ball's rolling you know absolutely and i think you've also shared a list of resources haven't you that we can kind of put up it will be available on the website for people to have a look at and, and kind of illuminate the history that they might not understand absolutely there's loads of um petitions um online especially at the moment um some specifically addressing george floyd some other victims of police brutality uh like the race the degree hands up act there's lots of sites, people, you know, if they can, um, can you can donate money to the cause. I know not everyone is able to do this, but those who can, you know, it really makes a big difference because um, a lot of the issues are to do with the economy and money and finances, especially. So a lot of black people that are finding themselves fighting for these issues and these causes um, might not have the financial kind of stability to to keep them going so a lot of these organizations actually raise money to you know if people go and protest and you know go sour and some people end in prison there's there's bail funds for them things like that that can make a huge difference you know so people can get back out and doing the work and obviously shouldn't be in a position that you know they shouldn't be and they haven't done anything wrong but they might not have access to the ways to kind of help themselves so i think petitions are great they've already made a lot of change um at the beginning george floyd's murderer was um only convicted of um third degree manslaughter i think it was has been raised you know the degrees has gone from third degree to second degree yeah um which is great that that's happened in a, in a matter of days so imagine what if everyone signs a petition what could happen the the death of brianna taylor i think is now being investigated again because people have been signing petitions and there have been um, a lot of the issues that we have, public issues, um, are not investigated because um, there's not enough public interest. So petitions are the way of the public to show interest. So a lot of the statements they'll be releasing will be due to an increased public interest, we've decided to look into X, Y, Z. Yeah. So you might think, oh, there's already millions of people that have signed this. The more, the better. The more that the government know that you care, the more they're going to do the things that they need to do because the, and really the MPs and stuff, they, you know, they work for us. So if we're demanding change and showing it in a way they can see, wow, 20 million people voted, 
it can't be denied it makes a difference and it, we're, also, we're seeing that now in real time and i think that's as good a place as any to finish but is there anything you'd like to say in closing um yeah i would just like to say um first you know thank you for giving me this opportunity and i hope that people aren't disheart disheartened um from the, the events the last few weeks obviously it's it's a lot to take in and it is food for thought it is something that needs you to kind of look into yourself it's, it's heavy but there's a lot of positive things happen and you can add to that positivity you can add to that and we can carry on building the journey is not done I just the wave we need to keep riding this wave and more and more change can happen don't don't sleep on it don't forget about it and go back to your to your lives because it you know people will still die at the hands of police brutality and issues of race so don't just because the hashtags are gone the blackouts gone people are still dying it might not be on your screen but it's happening so don't forget that keep pushing on and we'll get there someday i think that's an excellent way to finish. Charlene, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about these topics. I think, I think you're an incredible role model for people of colour and I'm really glad we gave you the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you so much. Honestly, it, mean, it means a lot to, to have this platform. You know, I've never been able to do this and, uh, and you've, you've given that to me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm sure we'd love to have you back on another time as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Charlene. Thanks, Charlene. No worries.